I was saving until it hurt, and then I have to go hustle. You know, anytime I wanted to go go out to eat or go out to the bars with my friends or something, I had to work for it. It wasn't just part of my normal spending. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I cannot be doing this thing solo, so let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Well, Cody, I think you know some of the things I was doing this weekend, because you joined in on me with a little country concert in Foxborough. But after that country concert, I still had a jam-packed weekend. I ended up going skiing at Stowe. Ended up going to another country concert and making some real progress on the van. But how about you? Well, that sounds pretty sweet, man. It was fun catching up at the country concert. I also went skiing this past weekend up at Crotched Mountain. Other than that, just kind of hung out with friends and went out in the city. And Justin, one super cool email that I got this past week was that I found out we have a 10-year-old listener. I'm going to give her a shout out. Her name is Isabel. So hopefully you're listening to this episode, Isabel. The fact that we have 10-year-old listeners, Justin, means we're doing something right. And she is definitely going to be crushing her path to Phi. She'll be Phi before she ever starts. <laughs> but before we go any further, Justin, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Have you ever told yourself, this is the year that I'm going to save a bunch of money and somehow that year is over and you have not saved even close to as much money as you'd wanted? What if this whole process could be automated? Our partner, Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, has created an awesome mobile app that makes it super easy to automate your savings. Whether it's saving up for your next vacation or saving up for your next rental property or saving up for that concert next summer, this autosave feature can help you get there. Just set your weekly savings target and let Empower do the rest of the work. That's right, Cody. And don't forget about the other awesome feature of Empower, where you can send simple text messages to Empower's human coaches and get personalized recommendations in return. So if you have a savings goal this year, you've got to check out the Empower app. Download Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. And as a special bonus to our listeners, you can get $5 if you use the offer code FISHOW, as well as meet your savings goal. So visit empower.me slash show for more details. So Cody, today we have Josh Overmeyer on the show who graduated in 2005 in urban development. Things were going great until 2009 hits. Everything starts getting downsized and he loses his job, sees his house value plummet, has to move in with his parents, but then discovers Phi and starts making some real progress and has been a pivotal part of this community. But I want to steal all of his thunder. Take it away, Josh. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Indiana. Parents were probably upper middle class for, for the, the community. It's a small town of about 5,000 people in rural Indiana. Dad worked in a factory and mom works as the HR manager for local construction company. They've both been in those or had been in those jobs for 20 plus years. Dad retired a couple years ago and mom's still there working maybe a couple more years. I have one sister. She was always kind of the spender. I was always the saver. So it's definitely one of those nature versus nurture things because I was the natural saver and she was the natural spender growing up in the same household. But I was the first in my whole family to, to go to college, you know, do the, the whole four-year degree, graduated right in 2005, right as the kind of the economy was booming. My degree is in uh, urban planning and development, city planning, development type jobs. I moved down to Fort Myers, Florida, which was at the time one of the fastest growing counties in the nation. We were issuing over 1,500 single-family home permits every month, but 
fast forward to 2009, like the pipeline just stopped. All of a sudden we were doing 15 where we had done 1500 in a month prior to that. So very quickly things changed from work, work, work to, oh my gosh, there's nothing on my desk. I was working in the county planning and zoning office, reviewing development plans, processing special exceptions and variances and, and such that are related to, to development. But as the whole process for developing really screeched to a halt, there weren't developers out there working on entitling land for future new developments. And, and very quickly, we started seeing, you know, groups of 20 or 30 every few months being shown the door, you know, made it through about six rounds of, of cutbacks back in 2009. But eventually in July of 2009, it was my turn. So having a degree in, in urban planning and development in the area that was leading the nation of foreclosures at that point was not, you know, a, a good situation to be in. And there was definitely no jobs in my field. So it was at that point that I actually moved back home to Indiana with uh, living with my parents for about two and a half years just to be able to keep an income coming in and stay current on my mortgage because I had bought a house down here by myself at the age of 23 back in 2006. So kind of right at the peak of the market for, for Southwest Florida. So you gave us a lot of good stuff to unpack there. I kind of want to continue on with what Cody was asking. Like, you know, that's how you were raised with money, but you were a natural saver. When did it go from just being a natural saver to maybe something a little more than just, hey, I'm, I'm good at saving money to we're here. I know that you're big in this fire, financial independence, retire early community. So just when did it take that leap from being, oh, this is something I'm naturally good at to more of a passion? Well, so I actually wanted to con- kind of continue from where I was because I-, I thought I was doing everything right. I graduated, four-year degree, I moved a thousand miles away from my first you know, big boy job, things were going good until suddenly they weren't. And so when I had to move back home with mom and dad and I was surviving on an $11 an hour salary, just barely enough to keep the mortgage current, you know, fast forward a couple of years, once I finally got back into a you know, decent economy again down here in Florida, I realized I had survived on about $19,000 for two consecutive years. And so I definitely didn't want to go through that situation again and, and be stuck living in my childhood bedroom and living with mom and dad just to be able to survive. So that was at, at really at that point when I, I really started saving, but it wasn't in the traditional, you know, 401ks, IRA type of things. I still had kind of that, that mindset of hit the fan. So it was, it was kind of at that point that instead of where I, I had previously maybe been buying like electronics and DVDs and just, you know, kind of the stupid stuff that 20 something year olds buy, I, um, I actually started buying precious metals. I thought, you know, kind of had that prepper mentality, silver and gold, you know, put that away for for safekeeping. <laughs> so in, in a way, I was getting my spending fixed by buying these these bars and coins. But at least I had kind of had something of value tucked away. So did that for a few years. And then I, I really kind of stumbled upon the you know, personal finance community online. J Money, Budgester Sexy was really kind of my first foray. And as you know, he was the one that started the Rockstar Finance website. And so between him and, and Kate Flanders when she was working with him, kind of curating the best of the web is really how I, I stumbled upon a lot more personal finance bloggers and, and the fire space. Yeah, I was just about to ask, because Jay Money, of course, is budgets are sexy. So you came from that frugality camp. You came from the saving. You came from the budgeting camp. Do you remember your first foray into the FI space and you were like, holy crap, I can retire at X age or I can retire in X number of years or this is possible. There's other people doing this. No, I, I really don't recall because, as I mentioned, I was, I've been working in, in government. You know, local government doesn't pay a whole lot. We do get the, you know, the nice you know, benefits, good, good health insurance, good leave, vacation, sick time, such a lot of paid holidays. But I really didn't think, you know, I'm not one of those software developers making six figures. I was, you know, at that point, maybe a 28 year old making 40,000. Like it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the fast track to fire, definitely. 
but kind of as the the gap grew between my expenses and my income, and I was able to put some money away, and slowly over time, you, you do see that momentum growing. You know, all of a sudden, you're, you're starting to see tens of thousands of dollars pile up. So I don't want to give the listeners too much whiplash, but the one part of your story I want to dig into a little more before we go too far was when you had to go through that tough decision to move back in with your parents. And just for if there's listeners who maybe are going through a similar situation, or if we have that next downturn, somebody's early in their career, what was it you were looking at when you're like, okay, this is for real, like this is the point I'm at, I need to move back in with my parents. And what are some like advice or tips that you would give somebody who is looking at that decision and trying to figure out what they should do? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I, there really weren't any jobs in my field down here in Florida at the time. So I really didn't have any option for staying here unless I wanted to compete with everybody else for a job at McDonald's or something. So my my original plan was actually to move to Indianapolis where my sister lives and kind of stay in, in her spare bedroom, look for jobs in the Indianapolis area. But really, none of those were panning out either. So I did end up moving home, kind of submitting resumes all over the state of Indiana and, and Western Ohio as well, and just trying to find anything that to get off the unemployment and keep afloat. But uh, eventually I did stumble upon a job, and it was the, the guy that used to own the local skating rink in town that I had known since I was about three or four years old. He actually was working in grant administration. If you think back to 2008, 2009, 2010, that was kind of the, the time of the stimulus money, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And so there were a lot of competitive grants out there, and he had the expertise and, and a couple other people working with him to support local governments across Indiana who really didn't have the expertise and knowledge of how to apply for the grants and properly administer the grants. And I felt like, you know, grant administration kind of ties in with the, the community development planning and zoning type stuff that I had been doing previously. So at least it was another tool in the toolbox. So, you know, thinking outside the box a little bit, you know, this wasn't something that I was going to do long term, but it, it was, you know, adding a tool to my repertoire, something that could, could be helpful again in the future. So one thing that you said that I think is really important is just, you know, going out and doing something and adding another tool to your repertoire. And I know, Josh, like on your website, joshovermeyer.com, you're no stranger to just sharing everything. You keep it super real. You share the wins. You share the losses. You share the failures. Could you talk about some of the failures that you think have most shaped you in your financial life so far? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm really not afraid of, of sharing some of those lousy outcomes I've read a lot of the various different blogs and, and people's stories, and it's it's awesome that, you know, you, you kind of hear the example of step one, do this, step two, blank, step three, profit. And it's like, well, you know, what, what what's the real story? Like, how, how did you make this, this one decision and suddenly became a millionaire and retired at 30? <laughs> so I, I just kind of want to be real with folks and, and let them know that, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the precious metal is investing. I actually, at one point, had spent over $18,000 on silver and gold, and as the spot price of those two precious metals declined and declined and declined, I think I ended up cashing out somewhere around $4,500 from that $18,000 investment. So it's still $4,500 more than if I'd you know blown that money on you know going out or or on electronics, and you know you buy a, a laptop and it's out of date you know two months later. So some of the other stories I, I did dabble a little bit back in 2009 in penny stocks. And I got one one quick win that very, very quickly ran away from me and, and tried a few others. And there really isn't any winning in those. Um, <laughs> the, the more you find out about those, the more they are what they call pump and dump. So that somebody kind of with some insider ties or just trying to unload their own shares, they somehow put out some publicity about the company, try to drum up some interest, 
sell their shares, and then there's really nothing behind the the movement. It's just people rushing in to buy because of this publicity. And so a lot of times those very quickly backslide. Another one was the peer-to-peer lending. So I got involved with Lending Club back in 2015. A few of the the bloggers that I I follow, and Jay Money mentioned it as well, I think. I'm not sure that he ever followed through with it, but he did write an article or something about it. And so I, I gave it a try, trying to diversify a little bit from from just having stocks and a few bonds at that point, trying to find something that was not correlated to the stock market. So I did the peer-to-peer lending. You know, basically the concept is you and a couple hundred other investors put $25 towards a random person's credit card consolidation or a a home improvement, whatever the the reason. And then as they pay back, you get paid back proportionally amongst the other investors. So it kind of spreads across you know your risk to a whole bunch of other people and it spreads the um, the profits as well. And it really started out pretty decent. I, I think I was getting about 10% uh, year over year return on it the first year. And it slipped about 7 or 8%. And now here I am about four and a half years later. And my total return is about 1.91% when I checked this morning. So like, I really could be getting just about that much online savings account, high yield online savings account, and not really have that, that risk of principal because I have have had like 83 loans now that have defaulted and that's out of 366 loans. So 20 plus percent of my loans have gone belly up. Maybe not necessarily a whole loss because they did pay for a while and then suddenly stopped. But I think there's one or two that never paid back a dime. Well, first of all, one thing I just wanted to kind of highlight there is we're looking at a lot of, you know, what could be seen as negatives. Obviously, there are moments to learn from and, you know, you get better on this journey. And I think it's one thing that doesn't get enough spotlight in this space is that we're all kind of like cockroaches in the best way. And I say that because like everybody wants to look at this 4% thing and they just want to tear that apart and figure out like why that's not going to work and how, you know, if you have this one random expense, it's going to blow everything up and you got to spin like a robot. And obviously, you know, that's not true. Like, you know, you've, you went through the great recession, you're losing your job. The economy is going to tank. You do what you have to do. You make it work. You start, you know, making connections with people. You start learning these different ways to invest. Some of them don't work out. Some of them fail miserably, but you learn from them. You keep going. And that's just one thing I wanted to make sure that we highlighted is that it's not just all about this 4% rule. Yes, that's a very easy back of the napkin math kind of thing where you can look and see about where you are, but we're so much more resilient than we often give ourselves credit for, especially people in this space. We're so creative. But with that being said, like, you tried to be creative. You did a lot of these different investment things. A lot of them haven't worked out. So at the end of the day, does settling, what has your investment philosophy turned into? Like what tools do you use today when you're saving for retirement? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate working in local government. I do have the um, access to 457 plan. You can think of those as kind of the local and state government version of a 401k. And so in a couple of jobs that I've had, I've been able to put away the slowly, we're kind of working my way up to the max on those uh, 457 plans. And then, of course, I have traditional IRA some years, and then other years I've used Roth IRA. So I've got some money there with Vanguard. I did kind of want to mention before we get too far away from it. I share those stories of, of kind of the things that didn't work out because I've already paid those mistakes or those lessons. Like someone who, who stumbles upon my blog doesn't have to pay to learn those same things. If, you know, Maybe it'll work out a little bit better or worse for them, but you know, at least walking into the investment opportunity with eyes wide open instead of, you know, only seeing the rosy side of things. All right. So, Josh, I think you're being a bit hard on yourself, and we haven't really got to the crazy part of your story. Not so crazy part, but when you discovered this movement, the financial independence, I know you mentioned you stumbled on J Money, you learned about Rockstar Finance, you were looking through the directory. 
But on your blog, you mentioned you started taking your personal finances seriously 10 years ago in 2010. And since then, your net worth has increased by over $450,000, which is nuts. And I feel like you're beating yourself up about these old mistakes. Could we kind of walk through that tactically? So you move out of your parents' house at some point. I think it was 2009. You mentioned you moved back in with them. Yeah, moved back in with them in 2009 and then moved out right around Thanksgiving in 2011. Okay, so could you take us from 2011 and talk about, you went through that period of two years where you're spending $19,000 a year. So now you kind of have that frugal base like, okay, you know what, Josh, if I have to do this again to survive, I totally can. It probably reworked the way you thought about money. So what did those next few years look like on a tactical level with how much you were saving, how much you were earning, how much you were spending and all those numbers? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I I went from like 19000 to when I got the job back down here in Florida, it was pretty much $40,000 on the dot. I knew that I didn't want to go through that situation again, so I did kind of start stockpiling both cash and, and like I mentioned, kind of the, the silver and gold. And I also had access to, it was a non, non-typical pension with a, with a community I was working for. Uh, instead of making some kind of you know, Florida t- retirement system contribution, they actually had an account where 10% of my gross salary went into a, a retirement account in my name, so it was kind of self-directed. I couldn't contribute any more on my own, but it was 10%. I'm automatically getting set aside sort of as an employer match. And I was there three years, took that money with me, rolled it into my uh, traditional IRA uh, after I separated from, from that community, and I started working for the state of Florida, and that's when I got my first access to the 457 plan. It was right at that same time that I started side hustling. Literally the same week that I started with the state of Florida, I started driving for Uber. And with the state of Florida, I was only getting paid once a month on the last working day of the month. So it's good and bad. You get a whole lot of money and then you're, you're bone dry for a while. And so having that side <laughs> hustle kind of, kind of helped me to cover the, the lean weeks in between. And the, the more I did that, the more I kind of ratcheted up that, that automatic 457 contribution. So I was, as the financial samurai says, save until it hurts. I was saving until it hurt, and then I have to go hustle. You know, anytime I wanted to go go out to eat or go out to the bars with my friends or something, I had to work for it. It wasn't just part of my normal spending. And then after about a year and a half, I finally worked up to the point where my monthly contributions hit the point where I'd be maxing out if I had done 12 months of that. So it was in July of 2017 was when I finally hit that that point where my monthly contributions were the one twelfth of the amount to max out for the 457 for the year. And so 2018 actually was my first year maxing out the 457. Did that again in 2019 in my new job. But no, the, the really cool thing about a 457 is I have access to those funds upon separation from service. If I quit tomorrow, I can have that money, you know, on Thursday. And so not that I'm quitting my job anytime soon, but it is nice kind of for early retirement planning, knowing that I don't have to wait till 59 and a half for this money. This money's mine as soon as I'm gone. So for planning purposes, definitely, and flexibility, I can keep that money in there longer. I've got the flexibility to withdraw from an, a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, 457, or my taxable brokerage. So kind of having some, some flexibility in my planning really helps. I thought that was really cool how you called out using that side hustle to do those like extra things, those fun things. Like That's a good mentality to have where you take something that you don't necessarily need, but you, you kind of want it, and that's going to get you so much more motivated to do that extra side work. But when you talked about saving until it hurt, what kind of rates are we talking about? Yeah, so I was probably in the in the thirty percent savings rate territory, and then just slowly ratcheting up through the three and a half years I was working for the state of Florida and and doing Uber. Uber <laughs> Uber was more profitable for me than a lot of people because I did have a paid off car and it was ten years old. 
kind of hit that sweet spot where it was only depreciating so much and the thing was paid off already. So all the, all the income really was, was profit to me, except on my tax return because of course business mileage was tax deductible beyond the amount that I actually earned while driving Uber. So kind of became a, um, a little bit of a tax arbitrage there, losing money on paper in the way that maybe real estate does because I was driving more miles than I actually made money with you know, paid passengers. So during that time, Josh, when you started side hustling, was Uber the sole side hustle or did you start to venture into some other ones as well? The only other thing I could potentially call a side hustle would be blogging and I've only ever lost money at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely just a, a hobby for me. I love being a part of the community and, and sharing some of my stories. So that's really all my blog is for me. And you talk about that, like being a part of the community. And it seems like you're just everywhere. Like, you know, when I go to a campfire, I, you see these screenings of playing with fire or, you know, it's FinCon, whatever, like Josh is always there. Everybody knows Josh. Like you've become such a cornerstone part of the community, even though, yes, I mean, you're not one of the ones making hundreds of thousands of dollars on your blog. You're not that part of the community, but you are like an essential part of the community. You're an actual community builder. Like people know you. You're always very kind to everyone. Like, how did you get so involved in the community and kind of to this point to where you're going to different states to visit people to watch playing with fire documentaries and all that? Yeah. So I, I really appreciate, you know, hearing that. Of course, I don't think of myself that way, but I just, I've been around for, as Cody mentioned, I've been in this area online for about 10 years, mostly as a, a reader enjoying the blogs and the content from everyone. But the longer you stay and the longer you keep commenting, the more friendships you develop. Some of these really didn't even be, become in real life friendships until I went to my first FinCon in 2018 when I met you, Cody, and you, Justin. Meeting some of my idols, met Jay Money, who I'd, I'd probably been reading his blog for seven or eight years at that point, and, and he even knew me because of, you know, having commented hundreds of times over the years. So that was pretty cool. And just you kind of get an idea for who these people are at reading and interacting with them online, whether that's on their blog or on Twitter what have you, but to a T, like 99% of the time, people are even better than you imagine in person. And so it, it's hard not to just fall in love with this community and, and just want to be a part of it. I'm on Twitter <laughs> probably way too much, but uh, yeah, that's where my friends are hanging out. So. so going along with that same thread, for people who are out there who are maybe just getting into the space and they're looking at something like whether it's a FinCon or the Financial Freedom Summit or one of these Camp Files like we just went to, you know, we ask these kind of questions of some of the people who are newcomers to Camp File in one of our earlier episodes this year. But what's your take on that? Like when you're talking to somebody who's just getting into the space and they're thinking about putting down a little money to go to one of these events, you know, how would you recommend it to them? I mean, I'm 100% on board with it. It's something that personally in, in my real life, my day to day, I don't have people that I can share these ideas with and share the stories and, and learn from them as well. Ask them questions. It's a totally different world when you go to a campfire and everybody's there to talk about the, these types of things and, and, and they're just so excited about it and so helpful and love to share their stories and the things that they've learned along the way. So I really can't recommend highly enough. I know, Cody, you've got the Financial Freedom Summit coming up in May, and I don't know if this is going to be aired before or after this, but the Economy Conference is going to be March 7th in Cincinnati, kind of a TEDx style, nine speakers throughout the day, all one day. So that'll be pretty cool. Really looking forward to going. But I am guilty of using all my vacation time for fire events. So since I've, I started my current job back in May of 2018, and I've, I've been to two FinCons, two Camp Fives, I went to Montana for the Adventures to Fi event that Jillian Johnsrud put on. I flew up to the Cabooses in uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin to hang out with Twitter friends. So 
along with the four Playing with Fire events I attended. So here I am going to Ski FinCon here in a couple of weeks. So I'm using every bit of my vacation time on this stuff, and I really couldn't couldn't be happier. So, Josh, I'm definitely like you, where I'm literally addicted to meeting new people in the Fi space. Every single time I go to an event, I seem to find one more person that's just like, really inspires me or I'm like, wow, how did I never meet this person before? I'm just feeling so motivated, so energized. And I'm wondering, because one of the things you said at this past Camp Fi that me, you and Justin were all at down in Florida was you just like hearing people's stories. Are there any stories that you can point to maybe one, two, three different stories that have really radically changed, whether it was like your mindset, your philosophy or anything about your financial life or just your life outside of finance as well? Wow, that's a that's, that was a really big question. <laughs> I would say probably the, the biggest change that in a way really set me on the path of I was the travel rewards. I took Brad Barrett's course back in 2015, the Travel Miles 101. And I know you guys are both proponents of the, of the travel rewards game. And I actually was in that job with the state of Florida for three and a half years without any paid holidays, vacation, or sick time. So for those three and a half years, I was just accumulating the points. And once I left, then I was finally able to, to use those. So I, I do have a nice stockpile right now, but being able to, to travel on, on the cheap it has been, you know, game changing for me. Another thing that happened recently was, I guess it was like last March, I had recorded a small segment for the Fire Drill podcast back when Gwen and Jay were asking their audience to weigh in on, you know, pay off the mortgage early or, you know, refinance to a cheap rate and, and never pay it off, you know, basically never pay it off, pay, pay it off as slowly as possible because you can earn higher returns in, in the market. And I actually, I would record on behalf of paying it off early because my plan at that time was to pay it off in about seven years, right as approaching my FI date and hearing some of the other members of the community, I think mostly it was Carl from 1500 days and maybe even Doug Norman keeping that mortgage and I actually refinanced last August to a 3.125. So now that's basically the long-term rate of inflation, and that's locked in for 15 years. There is no way I'm paying an extra, a dime extra on that mortgage <laughs> because 15 years from now, you know, who knows? But I doubt the rates will be 3.125% 15 years from now. So kind of playing that that arbitrage game where I'm borrowing cheap money and you know investing for my future. So digging into the travel rewards and the travel hacking, credit card hacking, that kind of space, I'm curious if you give those listeners who might be interested in it, but they get turned off by people who go like over the deep end into very complicated ways of stacking things, and it sounds like too much work to them. If somebody's just kind of curious about just getting started, something simple, they want to take one trip, they want to have nine credit cards and a spreadsheet, what would you tell them? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think the typical American probably only takes one or two trips a year anyway. And, you know, whether that includes airfare or hotels, there's definitely a way to, to at least cut the cost of, of one or both of those items. So really just just start, whether that's a you know, Capital One venture where it's kind of a travel eraser card. You use the card to make a, a normal hotel or airline purchase, and then you use the points to erase the charge kind of on the back end on your, on your statement. Versus trying to learn all the various different point schemes, whether that's a Chase or American Express, a, a Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott, you know, airline you name it. There's there's so many different programs. The points are all worth a different amount. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. We've we really stumbled down this rabbit hole and and are experts on this stuff now. But it's a lot easier if you just kind of get started and 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 go along the way. It doesn't have to be complicated. You can do one card per year, and you know even if you cover half your vacation, it's a tax free reward, or you're saving after tax dollars that you would have been spending on your vacation. So kind of a win win. 
And what about for people who they see that and they're like, well, but I got to spend three, $5,000 and I'm trying to be frugal and I don't want to have to spend money. Like what about hitting those minimum spends? Yeah. So I've kind of come up with a few different ways to kind of maximize uh, my spending when it comes to those three to $5,000 minimum spends and requirement in like three or four months. Some of my tactics have included, you know, waiting until maybe my six month car insurance bill is due or paying my homeowners or flood insurance. And I do advocate for flood insurance because I'm a certified floodplain manager. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes will prepay on my utility bills. Maybe might pay my Xfinity or my water bill, you know, pay six, six or so months ahead. And then I don't have to pay that bill for the next six months, but I'm at least getting the credit for that towards this short little 90 day window where I have to spend a bunch of money. So, and, and having, you know, some FU money saved as some emergency funds set aside so that I'm okay, you know, with these, bigger cash outlays all at one time, you know, makes a difference. And then, of course, through the savings over those next few months, then I can build that back up. But really, I haven't had to tap into the emergency fund to do that. But, you know, that, that is a strategy for some folks. Well, this has been an awesome look back on this 10-year journey where you went from $150,000 in debt to now a $300,000 positive net worth 10 years later, which is just an awesome accomplishment, especially because, like you said, you know, some people point at this movement and they say, oh, well, everybody or you know, these high six figure engineers. And so I can't even fathom. And you're doing this on a very, you know, normal salary at in a government job that hasn't always been steady. So, I mean, A, I appreciate you giving us that look back and the authenticity and the transparency, but I'm really curious, what does Josh have to look forward to? So I know you're talking a little bit about like this panel, but let's look a little bigger, a little further down the road. What are your trigger points for retirement? What do you want to do in retirement? Just what does that look like? Yeah, so I, I think I'm definitely in the lean fi camp. My expenses as as a single guy, and I'm a homeowner. My mortgage is now locked in at this low rate for 15 years. You know, I'm not in a hurry to pay that off, and and so I know pretty much set exactly what my my living expenses are going to be for over this next 15 years. So definitely in that 15 year period, I I do expect to you know hit a lean fire or even my my full fire amount. But I'm not someone who's opposed to making money in retirement. I don't don't think that. You know, the day you walk out of your job is the last day you ever make a dollar in your life. So I'm sure that there will be ample opportunities after I leave a, a nine to five kind of workplace that some money will come my way. So following that that rule of 25 or that monthly spend times 300. So, you know, if I can make a thousand dollars a month, that's three hundred thousand dollars less that I have have as a, a nest egg. And if for somebody who maybe hasn't heard of the rule of 300, what are you referring to there? Yeah, so the rule of 300 is pretty much the exact same as the rule of 25. It's 25 times your annual expenses. There's 12 months in a year, so 25 times 12 is 300. So it's it's a way to describe the 25x rule at, in terms of monthly expenses instead of your annual expenses. Which could be cool for something like, hey, you know, do I want Netflix or do I not want Netflix? Oh, I can just say whatever, you know, 12 bucks a month or whatever it is now times 300, and now I know like what that's going to impact me. So appreciate that. All right, Josh. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I've known you for a couple of years now, so it's only a matter of time before we got you on. And for people that want to continue with your story, they want to hit you up, they want to learn more about Josh. Who is he? Where is the best places for them to do that? Sure. Some of the blog is joshovermeyer.com, J-O-S-H-O-V-E-R-M-Y-E-R.com. And my uh, Twitter handle is at jovermeyer1, J-O-V-E-R-M-Y-E-R-1. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Josh. It's been awesome getting to know you. It's too bad you weren't at the 2017 FinCon because you would have actually got to meet two Jay Moneys, but you may have to ask him about that. But one thing we always like to ask our guests is, what is one tangible tip that you would give someone who's on that path to financial independence? 
So I, I can't go on without saying I, I did at least meet Jim at FinCon 2018. So I know who you're talking about, the the smaller J Money with the mohawk at, <laughs> at the closing party. <laughs> hey, I, I've been following these blogs. I, re- I read the post. So my tip is really just kind of the same way I answered with the travel rewards. It's really just to start. Put some money away. Learn to live, even if it's 1%, live with 1% less and then go from there. As you get raises, put money away. I've done something for a couple of years where I tracked every penny coming into my life outside of my paychecks. So whether that's a settlement check, insurance rebate, what have you, found money on the ground. I track all that money just to know that there's more than just living off of your, your everyday paycheck. And then when you see that there is extra money in your life, you can put that money away and, you know, grow for the future. All right, Josh. So this is definitely the most important question of the podcast coming up, and it is the wild card question. I'm not ready. Justin's not ready. I've been thinking about this question long and hard for the last two minutes. So, Josh, you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, so I thought this would be a fitting question because you have been to countless, probably in the high teens or maybe low 20s, number of personal finance events. Can you point to a single event and tell us what was your favorite and why? I've got to go back to my first one, and that was FinCon 2018. But because I really had not met anybody up to that point, I really just took it as an opportunity to kind of have a vacation with my friends. I wasn't there to grow my blog. I wasn't there to start a podcast or YouTube channel. I was there to meet you know, some of my favorite people that I've, I've interacted with online. And kind of treating it that way and taking the opportunity to volunteer for the event, I was, for the most part, I was just standing out in the hallway and directing people to the various sessions. I had been to that hotel for a previous conference before, so I knew it. And I'm kind of tall. I'm 6'5". I stood out. People could find me. And it was just a great opportunity to you know, interact and, and meet so many of these really awesome people. Well, again, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing more of your story with us. I look forward to meeting you at much more events and just seeing you all over Twitter. I'm a lot like you, and I probably spent too much time on there, so I'm sure we'll see each other there. But thank you for coming on and sharing the story with the community. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Alrighty, Cody, I know it wasn't too long ago. We were actually hanging out with Josh down at Camp 5, but it's always good to catch up with him. What'd you think about the episode? Yeah, man, I've known Josh for a while. Like he mentioned, he met us back at FinCon 2018 in Florida, and I'd known the guy from online. He was just a jolly, happy guy, always super nice, always responding to a bunch of comments and just pumping up everyone in the Fi community, and he is no different in person, and it was really fun to have him on the podcast. Yeah, I think Josh has got a really cool story, especially when you think about Going into the type of career he was going into in 2005, going to this place where it just seems like everything's booming, and then all of a sudden, you know, 2008, 2009 hit, and urban development turns out to be the worst thing you could possibly be doing in Florida, and he loses his job and hits that real decision of having to move in with his parents, and that's just a tough spot to be in, especially when you think about Josh now, like how happy and excited and how well he's doing. To get to hear that story and how he crossed that bridge is just really inspiring. Another thing I really liked was the way that Josh looked at his failures. And I know we talked about that in the podcast episode, but the fact that Josh was like, quote unquote, investing, but his investing meant buying gold and silver and other precious metals. It's not exactly what we'd call investing in the five community, but it was a step in the right direction. He's saying like he didn't go and spend that money out of the bars or didn't go and spend that money on travel or on vacations, albeit he did lose like 80% of its value or something like that. I think he paid like 18,000 and ended up with like 4,500. But still, he learned a lot of valuable lessons, and he was still at least putting that money aside and investing in something that he thought would have an awesome return. And I think that helped build the person that he is today. 
Yeah, Cody, it's really easy to read these articles that get published by these, you know, major publications on financial independence. And you hear these amazing stories, but a lot of times they kind of cover up some of the warts where people don't just get everything right the first go around. And Josh is sharing his failures, but he's also talking about how much he learned from it and how he doesn't really regret it. And now someone else can read about him investing in precious metals or penny stocks or peer-to-peer lending. And they can take those stories and put them up next to all these success stories and have a little bit of caution and think, okay, maybe I do need to slow down a little bit. You know, maybe an index fund is right for me. Maybe I don't have to try to get rich overnight. Another thing that Josh and I really vibe on, I know Justin, you're big into this too with your millions of hotel points, is travel rewards. And taking advantage of travel rewards, like Josh said, it seems so daunting at the start. People are like, oh, I gotta you know, keep track of all these 12 different cards and I gotta buy groceries using this card. I gotta buy gas using this card. And it does not have to be that complicated at all. Just get started with one card. I know Josh mentioned the Capital One Venture card. Justin and I both love that card. I've used it before. I've recommended it to people. We'll actually throw a link down in the show notes so you guys can go check it out for yourselves and see if it's a good card for you. I think as of right now, it's a $3,000 minimum spend in the first three months to get $500 basically in just free travel cash, which is awesome. So if you're someone who's stuck and interested in travel rewards, just like myself and Justin and Josh, all you have to do is get started and then you can go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want. Yeah, Cody, definitely love those travel rewards. It's definitely an awesome way to to not have to try to feel guilty about taking some kind of trip or, you know, maybe bumping up to first class. And on a similar note, you know, Josh did that in day-to-day life with driving with Uber. He had these expenses that weren't necessary, but they were things that made him happy and it allowed him to enjoy life a little more, like going out and eating with friends. And the way he paid for those was by adding extra income through Uber. So, you know, he would drive for Uber, take that money and use that you know, kind of his play money, money that he could just spend hanging out with friends and not really worry about the savings rate behind that. And now it's time for the call to action. And today's call to action is a little bit different. So Justin and I in our Show community Facebook group, and I know a lot of you guys joined that last week when we had a lot of Facebook community wins. But so we're going to post a thread in there. And what we're going to do is you're going to talk about the failure that has had the biggest impact in your life. Like what is that one failure that you learned so much from and share with the community? Not only will it feel awesome to see how far you've come from that failure, but it will also let other people in our community see that failure. And so hopefully they cannot make the same mistake. Well, if you enjoyed this show as much as we did and want to look for that link for the Capital One card or maybe join that Facebook group page so you can get on a part of that call to action, then you could do so as well as find all the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Josh. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.